Well, thank you uh, for singing and for leading us in worship. Do you know, I often think about, you know, church and why would people come on a Sunday morning to church? I grew up in a Christian home uh, where mum and dad would go to church every single Sunday and Sunday night and then Wednesday for prayer meeting. And as I grew up, I used to think, well, why would that be? What is going on that people would want to come to church? I knew that God was real because I saw it in my parents. I knew that God had transformed lives because I saw it in people around me. And yet I felt so distant from God in my own personal life. You see, there is a story to be told. Every single person has a story. And friends, this morning he came, Jesus came for your story. He came for your wounds. To show you what love is. You see, he looks at you, he looks at me and he sees us as we are. And we all need to be reminded that God has a plan and he has a purpose and he has something to share with us. You see, today we're grateful that we can gather today in this great country of ours that we can sit here at peace, knowing that we won't be persecuted for gathering in the name of Jesus. And I understand that in some churches across Australia and around the world, that there are people occupying every square inch of their building, where people are gathering to celebrate and to proclaim that He is risen. So I'd like to greet you in the name of all the Christians. All the Christians, whether you're from Paraguay, from the Philippines, or whether you're from Europe or the United States or from New Zealand or from Asia, may I greet you in the name of all Christians. Asking that God's power, praying that God's love and God's presence will speak to all of us individually this morning. You see, we can so easily forget that God is writing a story, a unique story, a unique never-before story written in each of our lives. You see, today we're sucked into so much detail, aren't we? We're sucked down into the details of the day humdrum of the busyness, the coming and the going, the bill paying and the boss pleasing, all the activities of life that we forget that God is up to something grand for each of you and each of us this morning. With no exception, God has a plan and purpose for your life and my life. See, it's interesting that life has so many starts and stops and fits and turns and we have a, a, a cemetery in the same block as, in a, as a playground. We have weddings sharing the same calendar with, with funerals. 
we, we look for a storyline that's threading all of these days together and it can be sometimes confusing. And if the confusion's not bad enough, friends, what about the conclusion? We die. This, this heart, unless Christ returns or comes first, is going to have one final heartbeat. That's a reality. This hand is going to fall limp one day. These lungs are going to exhale, exhale one final time. Friends, we all will die. No one, no one escapes death. Death, one man said, is the most democratic institution on earth. It allows no discrimination. It tolerates no exceptions. The mortality rate of mankind is the same world over, one death per person. Or as a psalmist, he would write and ask this question in the Bible, what men can live and not see death? Or save himself from the power of the grave. Young and old, good and bad, rich or poor. No gender is spared. No person is exempt. The scriptures in Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes verse, chapter 8 verse 8 says, No one has power over the day of his death. No genius, the rich, poor, no one outruns it. Not one person. No one outsmarts it. Whether you're Julius Caesar, whether you're a royal, whether you're someone famous or not famous, we all will, we, we will all one day die. interesting, I found this stat just earlier this week. Nearly two people a second die. More than 6,000 people an hour will pass away. 155,000 people every day. About 57 million people will die every single year. We all die. And no matter what you do, you can have the finest surgeon, the best doctor, who might enhance your life, but he or she cannot eliminate our death. You can pop all the pills, eat all the greens, never smoke, never drink, exercise every single day. You might improve the quality of your life, here on earth, but you never eliminate the inevitability of death. Well, isn't that a bummer? What an introduction, Rodney. Thanks for coming to church. (laughs) We just die. Or do we? (laughs) Amen. What if this is just 
the first step. What if this is just the first chapter of what, what if this is the first sentence? Or what if it's just the first word? What if this is just the first letter of the first word? of the first chapter of the story that God is writing with our lives. What if we're just getting started? You see, this is the promise of Easter. This is the promise of Easter. It was a Sunday morning after the execution of our Lord Jesus Christ. The executioners were confident that they had done all their work, right? They'd done everything they needed to do to execute Jesus. The spear to the side of Christ had made that certain, that Jesus' final breath was his final breath breath and that final breath seemed to suck out all the air out of the universe that day and his body lay a moulder and in the grave no one not one person was placing a bet on his resurrection The only concern of the soldiers was what? Those pesky disciples. The religious leaders were concerned too. In fact, they went to Pilate and they said, give the order, give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, they said to Pilate, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. Now we know, friends, reading scripture and knowing the story, no concern was necessary. The disciples were in what I call meltdown. All the disciples forsook Jesus and fled. That's what the Bible says. Peter followed him for a while from a distance. We know the story. But then he caved in and cursed Christ. John, the beloved disciple, followed Christ all the way to the cross and witnessed the crucifixion. We know that by what the scriptures tells us. But there is no indication whatsoever that John, even John, was expecting a resurrection. And the other disciples, well, they were hiding in every single cupboard and corner across Jerusalem for the fear of a cross that bore their name. And on Saturday night, 
It seemed like the enemy had won. It seemed hope caught the last train, I don't know, to the central coast. I don't know where you like going. And when the women came on Sunday morning, we read earlier, they did not come, I think we forget about this, they did not come to talk to Jesus in the cemetery. They came to embalm the body of Jesus in the cemetery. But this is what I love about scripture and how God unveils his story. See, God had other plans. For that's when God, he rocked that cemetery. There was a violent earthquake, the scripture tells us. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone. And this is what I love about scripture. Picture this. He sat down. The angel of the Lord sat down. He sat on it. His appearance, the scripture tells us, was like lightning. His clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and they became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. But he is not here, the scripture tells us. He is risen. Just as Jesus said he would do. He is risen. Come. Come and see the place where his body laid. The earth shook. It was a violent earthquake. Pebbles tumbled. Boulders fell. The ground shook and the women struggled to keep their balance because the ground was shaking. They looked in the direction of the tomb and there were the guards and the guards were scared, stiff, paralysed, sprawled, sprawled out of the ground. They had no appearance of men with life. They looked like dead men. Ironic, don't you think? Don't you find this ironic? Their job was to guard a dead man. That's their job, to guard a dead man. And the dead man they're guarding is apparently alive. And an angel has descended from heaven in the morning, and that morning he took a seat on the rock. Doesn't it say that? It says that on, in scriptures. He sat on the stone. It's like he dislodged it, did all that work, and then he sat on it. I don't know if he was looking at the guards and the women or sitting on the stone. Maybe. And he said with his wonderful voice, I can only imagine. 
You see, because it fell to the angel, the angel to make the first Easter announcement. Risen. He is risen. It takes three words in the English language to say he is risen. Three words. But in the Greek, it's just one word. And the Greek being the language that the New Testament is written in. Here it is. Egathe. Egathe. Say it with me. Egathe. Egathe. One more time. Let's say it. Egathe. When Matthew originally wrote this story, that is the word that he used. Egathe. It descends from a family of words which means literally to awaken. It's an odd word in a cemetery. Right? We think of a cemetery as a place to rest, to go to sleep. (laughs) But the angel says, oh, hold on, he is risen. Egathe. Egathe. So much relies on this word Egathe. So much validity. It is this Egathe, because if this Egathe did not happen, then it would be a joke. It would be a hoax. And all of Christianity collapses like a poorly told joke. And millions upon millions of us that have followed a pipe piper blindly over a cliff. But if this is true, if Jesus is risen, if this Egathe is real, then you can believe this. Then I can believe this, that Jesus descended into the coldest cell, the coldest cell of death's prison, and he allowed the warden, just imagine this with me as I share these words, allowed the warden to lock the door and smelt the keys in a furnace. And just when the demons began to dance, and just when the demon, demons began to parade and enjoy that moment, Jesus pressed his pierced hands against the inner walls of that cavern. And from deep within the cave of death, he shook the cemetery and the ground began to rumble and the tombstones tumbled out. He marched, the, 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 marched out and turned as a king over death. And in one hand and in the keys, he holds the keys of life. And all of heaven announced Egathe. He is risen. That's the answer. Egathe. Not risen from sleep. Not risen from slumber. Not risen from, from just being unconscious. Not risen from confusion, not spiritually raised, but physically raised 
You see, the women, they did not see a phantom. They didn't experience a sentiment. They saw Jesus and Jesus, what did he do? He assured them. It is I, myself, on the road to Emmaus. What happened? The two disciples to whom Jesus appeared, they, they saw a pilgrim just like them, walking. They didn't know who he was at first, but they didn't think he was a ghost. His feet was touching the ground. He didn't levitate as he walked. He wasn't a ghost. His hands broke bread. We know this, we read it in scripture. When Mary saw Jesus in the garden, who did she originally think he was? Who remembers? A gardener. He looked so common. When Thomas touched the wounds and his hands did not go through his body, he wasn't a ghost. His hands touched flesh. Jesus was raised in a body of flesh. This very body in which he had been born, the very body that carried him through Galilee and Jerusalem, now came walking out of the cave. Jesus, Agatha, he is risen. When he saw the people, he, he said, Handle and see, for his spirit does not have flesh. Look, they said, Look, handle and see, for his spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see. And that I have. Now, why was he so insistent? And why was this so important? Well, the bodily resurrection of Christ is everything. Is everything. If Jesus is just raised in our memory, think about this. If he was just raised in our memory, if he just lives on in our hearts, well, he is no more than my mum, whose memory lives in my heart, or my dad, whose constant memory lives in my mind, or my brother. But their body is buried. Their body is buried. He is no different than Jesus, than 1,001 martyrs who have come and gone but left a legacy behind them. He's no different but if he is bodily raised, Agathe, if he has risen indeed, as the scriptures teach, that means right now in his very heart, in the very heart of heaven, in the holiest place in the universe, he indwells a physical body of flesh and bones and oversees all of the affairs of history and issues this promise, friends. That what God did with his, with his grave, God will do with yours. And what God did with his body, God will do with yours. 
He will resurrect it. He will turn it into an immortal force that will reign and rule with him forever. Beginning of the story. You, you better believe that this is the beginning of the story. It's not the end. No way is this the end. He, he takes what you think is your final chapter and he turns it into a what I call a preface. It's a before of what's going to happen. It's just the start. Yes, we're all going to face death unless Christ comes first. But we will not face it alone and we we need not face it in fear. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. And he who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Friends, do you believe in Jesus? If you believe in Jesus, then you will never die. Oh, your body may cease. You may pass through a time of transition, but you will never, never die. What a remarkable discovery for those who put their faith and trust in Jesus. Why? Egathe, he's risen. Everybody on earth is telling you how to improve the quality of your life, eh? I mean, you see it everywhere. Commercials, diets, join this gym, try this, do that. But only Jesus Christ comes to you with a solution to your grave. Think about that. That's what sets him apart and makes him worthy of our service. Hosanna. Hosanna. Glory to Christ. Friends, the most amazing thing happened in my life most recently. And as I was preparing to share with you this talk from scriptures and the story of Jesus' resurrection. I thought of my brother, Carlos Enrique Trinidad. It was on, on a Monday, I got a call from the home that he lives. You see, Carlos was born with special needs. All right, special needs. Uh, he was pronounced dead when he was born, and they they brought him back to life after seven minutes. But he had suffered brain damage, and so he grew up in an environment not very normal, as you can imagine. Our whole family became became Carlos's carers. 
I grew up looking after Carlos. Middle of the nights, when Carlos would wet his bed, Dad would work, shift work, and, and Mum was not well or whatever reason, it was my responsibility as an eight-year-old to take care of my brother. Going into school and as a young man, you know, for many, many times I had to shower my brother, change him, brush his teeth, feed him. And then one day I get a call after, you see, my parents had passed away, both had just recently died, passed away and mum died of cancer, my dad had a heart attack. And so we had put Carlos into care, like into a carer's um, program, and he lived in a home about five minutes away from me. So it wasn't too far. I would have breakfast with Carlos most days, and if I couldn't have breakfast, I would have dinner with him or lunch or sneak away on the weekends. Um, it was very hard to find a church for Carlos that made sure he had a ramp and just to get him into the church building. But we found one and sometimes I would take him to church with his carers. But one day I get a call saying that Carlos is, is not eating. He's not eating and he's not himself. So I go over to the house and I see him there and I said, you know what, he doesn't look well and he's complaining of a headache. So I said to the carer, I said, John, let's, let's call a, a transport and let's get him to hospital just to make sure that he's okay. Because I think he had a UTI, a urinary tract infection, so he had a bit of a fever. But he just didn't look well. So we get him to the hospital, they do blood tests and sure enough they find that he's got a UTI. And so they start the antibiotics. But Carlos, he doesn't say much, but when he talks... Um, he never complains, all right? He never complains. He never, never once could remember him complaining. But he was complaining of a headache. And so I, he was doing this in the back of his head and I said, are you okay? And he goes, if my head hurts, my head hurts. And I said to the nurse, you know, he might be coming down with something. Can we give him a couple of Panadols? Sure enough, an hour went by but he's still complaining about his, his headache. And I asked the doctor while I was with him, I said, can we just check, make sure that uh, there's, he's complaining about a headache? And Carlos never complains. They take him out to do an a MRI scan and a CT scan with, um, and all those things. And right away the doctor comes back and he says, your brother has a huge tumour in the back of his brain. Just back here, and it's connected to all his, all the, just, or everything, it's just, it's inoperable. And uh, I, I don't think we can do exploratory surgery either. And so um, I said, okay, well, what can we do for him? He said, we've just got to make sure that he's okay, you know, and, and managing, that we can manage the pain. That was Monday, that was now Tuesday. And so Tuesday, he's okay, we're singing, I brought my guitar along and I called my sister, my wife, my kids and a few friends that he had and uh, we just started talking. He was okay and he would talk and then uh, Thursday would, Wednesday would come and he's just not doing better now. They're giving him higher dose of morphine but there's something about the medication that happened that I've never experienced before. It kind of brought Carlos back to, I don't want to say, he just had a 
something happened that he seemed okay. And he was talking and he was saying, I, I, and I'm not exaggerating, friends, when I say this. Okay? I'm not just giving you a story. But I was sitting there and he says, I see Dad and I see Mum. And, and then my wife is sitting with me and she's singing one of the favourite songs that he had that, um, uh, that my mum used to sing to him as a boy. And he would sing louder and louder. And then he would be smiling and my brother couldn't walk. And so he says, I'm, I'm going to walk to mum and dad. And he's saying these things. I don't, again, you know, I'm not exaggerating. I'm sitting there and the nurse saying, oh, you know, sometimes when you give this type of medication, they hallucinate and all these things. Well, I'm, there's no way he's hallucinating. I know that. But then I saw it on Christmas Eve. I saw him give, exhale his last breath as his spirit left his body. Friends, it was something amazing. It was something truly out of this world. He took his last breath. I can't wait to find out what he actually saw. It would have been something grand coming into the presence of God. I can't wait to find out what you're going to see. But the question I have, will it be something grand? Will you be rejoicing in the presence of your Father and in the arms of our Lord Jesus Christ? I don't know. But my friend, I can assure you of this. If you know Christ as your personal Saviour, if you are in Christ, you will die in peace. If you have entrusted your soul and your heart to him, then the one who defeated death will defeat your death. The one who inspired King David to write these words, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. For your rod and your staff, they will comfort me. Friends, he will meet you and he will walk you through the valley of the shadow of death. I truly believe that. But what, but what if you've never entrusted your soul to Christ? And I know there are people here who have not. What if you never do? What if for some reason you say, well, I guess I'll just have to face death on my own? Well, then you will. You'll face death all alone with no shepherd to guide you, no saviour to save you for eternity. Now, friends, why? 
Why for heaven's sake would you do that? Why would you do that when you can say yes to Jesus today? When you can say yes to Jesus today? No one can do it for you and no one can keep you from doing it. You can say yes to Jesus. And when you do, then the last day on your earth, on this earth, will be the best day of your life. It becomes the best day of your life. If that's not the oddest thing, And what everyone else fears is maybe not what you want yet, but you don't dread it either. I love this illustration as I close. Winston Churchill. He planned his own funeral. He planned his own funeral. He left instructions for two um, buglers. Is that what you call them? Yeah, two buglers to be positioned high in the dome of St. Paul's Cathedral. Alright, these two buglers. And at the conclusion of his funeral service, the first bugler played the song, I'm not sure if you know it, Taps. You can Google the lyrics, but that song signals the end of the day. But the second bugler, with the sound of taps still ringing in the dome, began to play Reveille, the song of a day that's just begun. That's a good funeral song. For the Christian, that's a good funeral song. Because in the hands of Christ, the cemetery becomes a place where we're not going, where we're not where we're to go to die. But it's really the place of which, from which we'll be called to live. Called to live. Our corpses will get to their feet. And we will wake. It is this God who raised his own son, Jesus, from the dead, will raise you from the same, and the same God who emptied that grave will empty yours. And the same God who shook the cemetery will shake them all. Agathe, he is risen.